So, things continue to get worse, like you do. Um, what I find interesting is apparently they really didn't have a handle on what they wanted to do with the the background story. Because this episode is primarily about Kira, Odo, the Resistance, and uh, the female changeling. I, I, I'll talk about the name thing in a second. So they're like, okay, we need to show what's going on with the rest of the crew. Okay, how about have Dax take command and she really loves fighting? No, that doesn't work. Um, maybe we'll just have it be about Cisco. Okay, that kind of works. Well, hang on, we need to have some character stuff for Odo. Well, yeah, he's turning on us. He's going to be the one who captures... No, 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 wait, wait, we can't have Odo turn on us. That's too much. We need to have him just be completely negligent. Okay, that works. What I find funny is that unintentionally slides neatly into what a founder is. A founder wouldn't go down and inter intervene himself. And that is clearly what's happening, as Odo's becoming more founder. And I've been kind of pointing out, as several episodes go, how Odo tends to think like a founder. But one last point I want to bring up here. Damar is really starting to drink. Now, this is actually the first time this is shown on camera, and this is the first time they plant this seed. And, if I'm being honest, I didn't think this was planned at first. But apparently, this was done deliberately. Damar's drinking habit, which will become much more severe uh, in future episodes and seasons, all started right here, and the audience was deliberately supposed to notice that he's drinking because something's bothering him. We'll talk more about that much later. Let's talk about the B-plot. Notice how the Federation's tactics have substantially changed from the initial attempts at the war. We're going to send the Seventh Fleet, and they're going to beat them, and then they get crushed. <laughs> The Federation tried sending the army to attack the enemy army, and that didn't work out too well. So now it's missions, infiltrations, uh, effectively space guerrilla warfare. Now, that is smart, but it is probably worth noting that there's a reason the Federation is still losing. They simply cannot match the level of firepower the, uh, the Dominion has at this point. Yay. Then, of course, we find out that the Dominion has a overwhelming, in fact, I'm just going to quote the actual episode, enormous tactical advantage. Now, I've actually talked about this before, so I don't really feel, really feel the need to reemphasize, but let me just say that proper intel on what's where, when, is invaluable to tactics. How many of you have played a strategy game? <laughs> In most strategy games, it's not actually a factor. You can see stuff on the map as it's happening. You, the commander, can see these troops are here and these troops are there. But in real life, what's probably more likely to be happening is they have to radio in that they're attacking, and so you don't actually see what's going on specifically. So you can only give vague instructions to, that they then have to interpret, hence the point of a chain of command. Right? You with me? Now, imagine if you really could see. Imagine if one player has to deal with time and communication and delay and the possibility of what the troops see and what they don't see and what they report in, and the other player is playing StarCraft too. You can see how that would be an overwhelming advantage for the player playing StarCraft too, And that's exactly why the Dominion is pounding them into paste. It's a nice touch. So Cisco gets pumped up to adjutant. <laughs> uh, actually, before I mention that, I want to mention something else. Cisco says we have to take out this advantage. So naturally, because they're in this one very well-defended spot, we're going to have to send the troops through the Alps. I am a little bit amazed that he was able to pull this off. It's, it's one of those tactics that only works because it shouldn't work. Or to put this another way, 
this was basically a coin flip. Either the Defiant's going to get through there and manage the mission, or they're going to die horribly not even reaching it. And those are the only real outcomes here. So you can see why people tend to go for these kind of Hannibal tactics. But the adjutant thing. In the novelization I referenced a last episode or a couple episodes ago, there's this whole subplot about how Sisko has deliberately maneuvered his way into the adjutant position because he believes that the war is going badly and he personally needs to get involved at the admiralty level in order to start trying to turn the war around. And it's an interesting subplot, and I actually rather enjoyed it. He actually does it alongside Martok. The two of them are co-conspirators in this. It's just fun, and it's fun to think about if that was delivered. Now, obviously, none of that's in the episode. I just wanted to mention that for any of you who have actually read the novelization. But, on the other hand, in the episode, it's clear what the intent is. Picard being pushed to an adjutant. Yeah, okay. Cisco. See, the thing is, I've, t- I've compared the command styles of the various captains many times, and Cisco's is very obvious. He is right there in the front line with his troops. That is his overall approach. The Defiant is a part of the front line. He, he actually goes down on missions with a phaser in hand, and so forth and so on. Now, yes, you could argue that all of them do this to some extent or another, but that is his overall style. He leads from the front. Being forced to lead from the back, being forced to send ships, plural, on missions that he is not personally involved in, while he sits at a desk? That's a kind of torture for someone like Cisco. It's a shame that he's so damn good at it. Unfortunately, that's all I've got for the B plot. Let's talk about the A plot, which went on so long I had to wrap around my notes on my thing here. So, um, there's this bit, so this is an episode directed by LeVar Burton. And you can kind of tell because he's an excellent director and you can see kind of his fingerprints here. But probably my favorite scene in this is when we see a scene and we can hear some of the dialogue, and it's but most of the, of the acting is being done uh, physically, right? Motion, body language. All of the actual events are being narrated by Rom and Kira. It's a nice way to add a pseudo-framing device. I guess it's not a pseudo-framing. Add a framing device to the scene and allow us to have a different take on what would otherwise be a fairly normal, normal and ordinary affair. And, of course, then we see Dukat and Weiyun, who... <laughs> keeping true to the point, are both obviously antagonistic towards each other, but still both are interested enough in staying together that they are willing to play the part. Smile. Smile, Dukat. I'm smiling. And it looks terrifying. (laughs) So, Odo and Kira have a meeting shortly thereafter. Once again, both people actually have a valid point. Odo is speaking from pure pragmatism. Bajor needs to stay out of the war, and they need to be able to survive this in order to withstand these events. Kira is speaking from pure idealism. She is speaking from the perspective of the intangible. We have to do something to assist this. We sleep on a comfortable bed and eat warm meals while other people are out there fighting and dying for our freedom. So you can kind of see how both have a degree of a point. And it would actually be very fascinating to see that discussion just continue, but unfortunately it can't, because the ultimate X factor gets involved as the female changeling shows up. I have said before that Kai Wen might be the most evil character on the, in the show, but the only one who really contests that is the female changeling. Now, I don't want to tip my hand too far, but all I want to say right now 
is that her approach here is very obvious. And what's funny is she doesn't even lie about it. She is here for Odo. Nothing else matters. Even when she is briefed and interacting with people about the war effort, she doesn't care about how the war is going. She doesn't care about who's doing what. None of that actually matters to her. You know what matters to her? A changeling. Because as I've said before, and I talk about this so often, to a founder, the only thing that matters is another founder. She is here for Odo. And she goes full tilt into him. Apparently, several of the writers said that the script was not designed with the intent of seduction in mind. However, many other people disagree with that, including the actors and the director. So if you're wondering why it seems kind of like she is seducing him, it's because that she freaking is. Because, again, the actors and the director said, no, that this is a seduction. It may not be a sexual seduction, but this is definitely a seduction. She is trying to drag him into her line of thinking, to think like a founder. Because, as weird as this may sound, while the founders certainly do have malicious, more overtly evil aspects to them, and they do, and we'll see that in the future, the main, for lack of a better word, sin of the founders is ambivalence. Simply not caring. Like, okay, yes, go maintain order, do whatever you have to do. You know, we'll wipe out these three planets full of people. Okay. Why are you telling me this? Why would I care? I'm a founder. Well, there's one founder on the planet. What? Then we must do everything in our power to secure that founder's life. What about the other two planets? Oh, you can deal with them, however. That's a founder mentality. So, she... <laughs> she um, God, I'm trying to, to talk about this, but it's so difficult because it's so obviously horrible. We have forgiven you. Well, I haven't forgiven you. They, in many ways, they do portray themselves as gods. Not because they're all powerful, but because they are all important. And I want you to remember that for the future, okay? Anyways, so she cares about the minefield more than the war. But what I like more about that is immediately after that, she asks him a simple, honest question, like a friend word. Are they always like this? And he instantly responds openly and honestly. Odo's really weak around her. He is so, she is such a huge blind spot for him. He cannot help but treat her as if she is someone he can be open and honest with. Now, that probably sounds strange, so let me try to explain this another way. Um, I'm trying to think of how to do this without stepping any controversial toes. Let's just say that there are certain professions here in the United States that, and there are multiple professions that do this, where people are trained to be affable and friendly to try and put you off your guard so you say more to them, so you give them more information. It's a form of passive interrogation, to be blunt. I, to be completely honest, I also find it disgusting because not only is it passively manipulative, but it's also kind of slimy. There's no genuineness in their friendliness or affability. They're only affecting a persona in order to try and rip information out of you that you, of course, naturally provide. Why wouldn't you? They're your friend. And that disgusting behavior is exactly what the founder is doing to Odo. She just behaves like she's family, like close 
family, immediate family to him. And she just naturally assumes that position. And even when he constantly insists that she's not, she retains that position and continues to behave as if she is in that position, which wears him down. <sighs> There's a scene where she, you know, is, is in his quarters. And I had a thought, and I've never had this thought before. I feel like Loxana... Okay, the obvious thing is Loxana would be better for him than the female founder, but that's like saying, duh, basically. It's like saying water is wet. But what I mean by that is Majel Barrett had more natural and fluid chemistry with Renée Bergenois than Jalome Benz... or Jalome... Oh, God, I forget how to pronounce her name. The female Changeling's actress, who actually does a good job. I, I don't want to dismiss her. I uh, like the actress who plays Kai Wynn. She does an excellent job of playing someone who is absolutely horrible. Salome Jens. I knew I was screwing it up. Salome Jens. Uh, but I don't think that's a mistake, like I usually would. I don't think that's an out-of-character problem. I think that helps to showcase that Loxana cared about Odo. The female changeling doesn't. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, hang on, hang on. I thought the only thing she cared about was him. No. Because Odo's not a person to her. Odo is... God, this is hard to explain. Odo is a part of their, let's call it pantheon. And therefore, as a virtue of his position, what he is matters to her. And therefore, she places emphasis on him. But there's no actual care. There's no legitimate feeling, emotion, love, concern, or consideration. And you can see why I parallel this to the faking, the uh, the, the fake uh, affability to rip information concept. Because that's kind of what she's doing here. She doesn't really care about him, just like they don't. You with me? I know I say that a lot. I'm sorry. I try not to. I have my own verbal tics. I do it in real life, too. So, I mention this because... Another thing that I noticed in this episode, which I never noticed before, is she very clearly is approaching this like a troubleshooting problem. Like a standard, okay, she's an IT person and there's a server down. Let's figure out why. Because what she's trying to diagnose is why Odo did not return to the link. Because you can tell the idea is just un, is just weird to her, like I don't understand. Why didn't she return? It's so logical that you would return. You're a changeling. You merged with the Great Link. You re Why aren't you with us right now? She doesn't understand. So she's trying to identify the source of the problem. Now, this is the best part. And this really gives insight into founder mentality. Oh, it's Kira. It has to be Kira. Naturally, the reason why you haven't rejoined us is because of your love of Kira. Of course! It can't be the fact that we are evil despots who brutally and viciously oppress people, who mass murder people, or in fact are in the middle of persecuting a large-scale war against basically every other major power in two quadrants. No, it has to be Kira. Now, you could argue, fairly, that it really is just Kira, that the rest doesn't matter as much to Odo because of distance theory. But that does say a lot about the founder mentality, and I want you to remember that one, too, because that's going to come up, and I'm going to finally address some YouTube comments I got from this point, like a year ago, on uh, the... Oh, was it season three? No, season four episode. Hang on, let me look that up really quick. Because this has come up before. 
in an episode that I'm going to look up really quick. Because it gives me the episode numbers here. Here we go. Season 4. It was Broken Link was the name of the episode. I'm going to address those comments finally. <laughs> We're not there yet. <clears throat> so, Kira is upset. And he's just really into the link. He, he acts like a drug addict, basically. A recent drug addict. Someone who just started doing the drugs. You know, whatever he decided to start doing. Some kind of euphoric. And every argument she makes, he manages to have an excuse for and deflection for. But you'll notice he's still kind of reasonable. And yet, the next time we see them together is during the next Resistance meeting, where Kira is trying to diplomatically reach out a hand to Odo. Well, Odo doesn't like it, so we'll find something else. We need to find something we all agree on. She is trying to reach out to him. He is completely indifferent. And then Quark walks in. Now, I'm making a point about this, because A, this is supposed to be a major turning point in Quark's character arc, which Armin Shimmerman herself, himself has talked about. But B, and more importantly, this really throws Odo into contrast. Quark has everything he really has ever said he wanted and needs here. He has a good position. He's got his bar. He's got money flowing through him. He's making tons of cash right now. Tons of profit. And he just needs to keep riding steady and he'll just rise up and still be... He'll get everything he wants, right? And yet, despite being offered everything he wants, Quark doesn't actually want this. He instead wants the Federation back. He wants to sell root beer again. He wants the bad guys gone, even though the bad guys are offering him everything he has ever said he wants. You follow me? I know, I just said it again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's important to me that I make this point as clearly as I can, because the devil has walked up to Quark and said, here's what you want, and Quark has said no. But the devil has walked up to Odo and said, here's what you want, and Odo said, really now? And you see the contrast created between the two characters. This, of course, is very logical. This is actually a very natural character progression for both characters, given how they've been portrayed throughout the entire series. It also is your classic inversion. Odo, the stalwart defender of order and law and justice, is becoming a bad guy because, because he has successfully been tempted, seduced by the dark side in a more or less literal sense. By contrast, Quark, the, the slimy, greedy, sniveling Ferengi, is willing to lay down his life in order to try and assist in the good guys actually winning. Now, that's important to know. I've talked about this so many times. Fiction has a tendency to portray anyone who doesn't immediately jump at the chance to do heroic deeds as a coward, and that's wrong and bad, and what's wrong with you? But in real life, it's a lot harder when you're a normal person to be willing to stand up and do those kind of feats. That is dangerous and difficult and risky and costly, and some people literally cannot emotionally do that. For Cork, an ordinary person to stand up like this speaks volumes. And Odo, the giant, is not. <sighs> Moving forward, there's this bit where he goes back to the female changeling, because of course he does, and she admits that she has no name. 
While this is irritating for anyone discussing or cataloging Star Trek, it does admittedly make perfect sense in character. Why would she need a name? Every other changeling can identify her immediately, without hesitation, because they know who she is. Uh, to use a programming... Actually, I don't know the programming term, but to use a programming concept, she has an ID value. Whatever her name, whatever her face that ID value never changes. So she is always her, and therefore they will always know who she is. With me? God damn it, I just did it again. <sighs> I'm trying, I swear to God. <sighs> but, at the same time, you can see from an external perspective why the founders would not want to have monikers identifying them. After all, that just removes some of the mystique of the founders. Remember, most of the founders, they, people didn't even know who or what they were prior to the, the unveiling on the show. So why would they need some kind of name to identify with anyone else? They'll just take someone else's persona or appearance. Or they're dealing with the Vorta, who, who cares what they think? So they have no need internally or externally for a name. Why would they have one? So... Odo insists on not linking. He actually resists for a surprisingly large amount of time. And when he finally admits, openly and honestly, thanks to her passive manipulation, that it is because he promised Kira he wouldn't link, that she says, very angrily, I might add, she is a solid. This is not her choice. This is about you and what you want. And so Odo links with her. This then leads to disaster because they had a chance to sabotage the minefield effort right here and now, and because of the fact that they didn't, things are now going to get much, much worse. And Kira... I like Donna Visitor. I, I like her acting a lot, and I don't think I have ever, ever seen her portray true rage like this. I've seen her angry, I've seen her upset, I've seen her yell, but what she does here is a very cold fury. And she does it wonderfully well. She, I, I literally don't think Kira has ever been more upset than at this exact moment. Because she can't be this kind of upset with Dukat, he's the enemy. Or with the Cardassians in general, they're just scum. Or with anything else that would cause this kind of upset to her. No, no, no. Odo was her closest friend of years who she probably has some romantic feelings for, given both the past and the future, and who had romantic feelings for her. This is a close confidant, someone she considers close, intimate family, and he has just betrayed her in probably the worst possible way. Oh, no, no, no. There are stars out there who, who pale compared to how raged she is right now. And she gets that across wonderfully. So... I, the next scene is poetry. It's it's chilling and horrifying. She just lays it all out for him. But René Abergenois is just a a he's a lake. He's he's a calm puddle of water. He doesn't respond at all. He doesn't defend himself either. Why would he? He doesn't care. And that's the problem. It has nothing to do with me. If only you could experience the link, you would understand why. I just don't care. And this time, so previously Odo has met with Kira in private. This time the female changeling is present for this altercation. And she asks, it's looked like that bothered you. No, 
Not really. That's horrifying. Thankfully, <laughs> this is something that's going to be addressed in the future, because holy crap. But I wanted to, to toss out something I've heard said over the years. I've heard some fans say that they should have kept going with this, with Odo. To turn Odo into one of the bad guys. Make him either the new face of the founders, or just kind of direct him into this kind of position. I'm not sure what I think of that. Oh, don't mistake me. I think Rene Vergenois could absolutely do that kind of a role. And I think he could effortlessly play the same kind of just absolutely horrifying villain like the female changeling does. But I'm not sure, and I'm very curious what you think, how you would react to such an overall character arc and progression of his character. Either way, hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time. You know what I mean? <laughs>